The Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast is brought to you by Heather Rose Jones under the Tilt Podcast Group. We look at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature and talk about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past. We feature interviews with authors and readers, and in months when we have a fifth show, we're proud to present new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Two and a half years ago, I launched the weekly expansion of this podcast, including the -the on-the-shelf monthly roundup and adding interviews and book appreciation shows with authors and other community members. Catherine Lundoff was gracious enough to be my debut interview subject back in August 2017, and her eloquence and deep knowledge of the field set a pretty high standard that I've tried to aim for since then. But writing novels and stories that include queer women isn't the only thing Catherine's been doing in recent years. I've been wanting to add some voices from the publishing side of FF historical fiction to add another angle to the authors and readers who have appeared on the show. Once again, Catherine Lundoff is here to kick things off by talking about Queen of Swords Press. Welcome back to the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, Catherine. Thank you so much, Heather. What a delightful things to, you have to say. I'm very flattered. Well, I, I, you are an icon to me in many ways. <laughs> and in my circle of friends, I've had the pleasure and privilege of knowing a number of people who took a passion up to the next level of professionalism and who have been very open about the hard, detailed, and meticulous work necessary to do that successfully. So one of my friends blogged regularly about going from cooking just for fun to owning her own restaurant with all the complete lack of glamour involved in the process. Now, at some point, you transformed the idea of self-publishing your own works to the dream of creating a publishing company. And that's what we're here to talk about today. How did it all start? Well, it was always my intention to wrap up Queen of Swords to publish other people. What happened was that I spent You know, I I was traditionally published before. I had several books out. I had a number of short stories published. And I decided at a certain point that there were things that I wanted to do that I couldn't do when I was being only published by other people. And so I started doing research and I started planning. So about two years of planning went into the launch. And the first year, Queen of Swords Press is now three years old. The first year was, was 2017. And, and by first year, I mean the one where I was actually releasing books. Before that, I'd been taking classes with the Small Business Administration and learning how to write ad copy and pick cover art and that kind of stuff. And so what I ended up doing was starting with my own backlist the first year. So I released my uh, lesbian menopausal werewolf novel, Silver Moon, which can also be read as a bi-menopausal werewolf. But anyway, menopausal werewolves, menopausal werewolves rule, and a couple of collections of my short fiction. I had spun off my erotica and erotic romance under the alias of Emily Byrne like years before that. So I released a couple of collections of Emily's stuff and a collection of my own work, which was my science fiction, fantasy, and horror short fiction with LGBTQ protagonists. 
that's out of this world and it weighs in pretty heavily on fantasy. There's some science fiction and a little tiny bit of horror. So that was the first year. Um, when I moved into the second year, I learned a lot from that process. One of the things that I learned was that having a full-time job and putting out four books in a year by myself was super stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you found more recently, uh, eliminating the full-time job part of that is not any less stressful. Well, there's that. So so year two, um, I'd been talking to an author named Alex Axe, who's a science fiction and fantasy writer out of Colorado. And Alex and I had talked at a, a Worldcon or two about at me at some point releasing their steampunk stories. They had this fabulous series of linked steampunk novellas with a bi-Latina uh, protagonist in an alternate Colorado. Mm -hmm. And she and her sidekick have this, you know, a lot of witty banter and they have kind of a Holmes and Watson-esque relationship. And there's lots of adventure and there's zombies and there's, you know, she, she she's, gradually falling in in sort of sort of in love with a um another woman who's a con artist and they have adventures and they're just a marvelous series of stories and the publisher that they had previously been released under um had gone under very shortly after releasing the story so very few people got to read them yeah like i didn't even know that it happened previously oh yeah 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 i, I think it was like two weeks after the release of the omnibus the publisher went here. It was that fast. So I think something like, you know, eight to 10 people actually read the stories when they were originally published. Um, so Alex and I talked and we decided that we were going to change the marketing, split them out in a different way into two different collections. So the first one was Murder on the Titania and that came out in 2018. So 2018, I did Murder on the Titania I released an Emily novel called Medusa's Touch, which is a science fiction erotic romance set in the far future. There's tentacles, just saying. Not women <laughs> and tentacles, if that's a selling point. And then I had edited a co or co-edited a couple of anthologies with my previous publisher. So I decided I wanted to do another, another anthology. And so I was thinking of things that I could stand to read a lot of <laughs> while doing a lot of other work. Yeah. And so one of those things was pirates. So I put out a call and got, I decided that since pirates are kind of a, a pretty universal phenomenon, they're found in all time periods, they're found all over the globe. You know, you get outer space pirates, historical pirates, all kinds of pirates. So when I put out the call, I decided to make it an, um, an, all, an all gender, all orientations anthology, meaning that it didn't have to be queer specific. I said that I wanted lots of international submissions and ended up getting somewhere around 100 stories from 14 different countries. Oh. And I got to call all of that down, <laughs> which was fun. But what we ended up with was an anthology called Scourge of the Seas of Time and Space, which came out in December of 2018. And so that was the, the three books for that year. Um, I was supposed to get laid off from my day job at the end of 2018, and they changed their minds, and I got extended. So went into 2019, had ramped up a whole bunch. I also, I teach writing classes for 
Cat Rambo, the former um, CIFO, science fiction and fantasy writers of America president. Um, I also have my own writing career. I do a lot of writing for other people's collections and anthologies. Um, I do some gaming tie-in writing. Um, so I do a whole bunch of different things. So I've ramped up a whole bunch of projects, presentations, talks, the whole nine yards, because I thought I was going to be out of work for a couple of months. And I was figuring I would, you know, write out my severance and go do things. And so when they canceled that, I still had this enormous workload. <laughs> so I ended up hiring a part-time assistant. So I have a, a part-time assistant who helps me with things like the monthly newsletter. Um, she handles the Twitter feed. She does some proof editing. She's working on some ads. Um, so she works on different things and she's starting to help me out with, with tables because I do a lot of tables. Uh -huh. So even with help, 2019, I only put out two books. Still hoping to get to, to three this year. We'll see how that goes. So it sounds like you were you were almost too successful for your own good that year. Um, let's just say I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the cool stuff like kind of came home in 2019 because um, as we were putting out Wireless and More Steam Powered Adventures, which is the second Alex book, the first Alex book, Murder on the Titania, um, came in as a finalist for the Colorado Book Award. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the year, the um, pirate anthology, Scourge of the Seas of Time, made it onto the American Library Association's Over the Rainbow list, wow. which is the recommended reading list for LGBTQ adults. They have a YA one and a middle grade one as well. Um, so that just happened pretty recently. So, you know, feeling pretty good about how things are going. Um, yeah. Scorch had gotten a really nice shout out in Publishers Weekly. They really liked it. So that, that was a really nice lift for that particular book. Um, Wireless is currently a nominee for the Colorado Book Award, as well as the Midwest Book Awards and the Bisexual Book Awards, um, because there's, there's more bi content in book two than there was in book one. So we'll see if that flies. Um, really, really hoping that it finals for at least one of them, because it's a great book and it deserves to. And then uh -huh. at the end of the year, I'd been hoping to get the sequel to Silver Moon out, and it wasn't ready yet. So I put out a collection of my horror and dark fantasy called Unfinished Business, Tales of the Dark Fantastic. So that came out in October. Um, it had to come out in time for various events that I was doing. I was a guest at a convention in Atlanta and had a whole bunch of appearances going on, and I needed a new book. <laughs> so that, that was the new book. So I've started this series of what I'm calling minis, and they're shorter collections. They're about half the size of a trade paperback. Because what I'm finding with the book tables, because I, I do a lot of direct sales, I do sell through bookstores as well, as well as online. But as I was going out and doing more and more book events where I was like interacting with prospective readers on a regular basis, what I was finding was that people were really comfortable taking a chance on a new to them read, a new to them author or a new to them publisher in about the eight to ten dollar range, <laughs> less if you can do it. And the only way for me to do that was to do something smaller. So I started doing these minis. So Unfinished Business was the first of those. The second of those is going to come out in April, on April sixth, and it's by a New Zealand author named AJ Fitzwater. AJ is a two-time Sir Julius Vogel Award winner. That's uh, the New Zealand's Science Fiction and Fantasy Awards. Um, and AJ's won for short fiction a couple of times now. And it's this marvelous collection of 
seven stories about a dapper lesbian capybara pirate. Yeah, that's kind of a high concept thing. <laughs> She's awesome. I love Sinrak. I love Sinrak so much. Yeah, I, I I first encountered the character. One of the stories that's going to be in this first collection, uh, The Wild Ride of the Untamed Stars, was on the Beneath Ceaseless Skies podcast. And mm-hmm. it, so it stuck with me well enough. Well, okay, so I'm going to back off on that because when the concept of lesbian capybara pirate captain came up, I said, haven't I heard a story along those lines before? But I suspect it's just such a unique concept that stuck with me. Nope, no, you have read it before. It actually, um, AJ had written a story about this character for Scourge of the Seas of Time. Uh-huh. And the, the beautiful thing about Scourge of the Seas is it's got, I got tremendous variety. I mean, I got everything from a story set in the aftermath of the Trojan War featuring Andromache, who's a Hector's widow in the, um, the Odyssey, the, the Iliad, to a story about a lesbian, a dapper lesbian capybara pirate, to a, you know, really rollicking YA story set in this, you know, interdimensional space you know, to just writer, writing from all kinds of authors, doing all kinds of cool things. And so getting that, that last story was like, okay, and now for something completely different. <laughs> so I, I get the impression that, that Sinrak is coming out of the, like the anthropomorphic um, fiction and, and graphic stories yeah. Um, yeah. community. So it's, it, these are very humanoid capybaras and other creatures. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's a collection of stories that I think is going to really appeal to people who like Ursula Vernon's work. Ah, yes. Particularly the stuff that she did, you know, around Digger and some of her other series. Um, uh-huh. We've also been getting it out to um, some of the, um, there's a furry review site and a couple of authors who I know who write for the furry community to try and tap into that as well, because I think it's a book that's going to, going to speak to a lot of them. Um, it also just a couple of days ago, got a really lovely review in Publishers Weekly. So I'm, I'm feeling like the potential for a broad audience on this is pretty good. Yeah, I get the impression that uh, sort of pound for pound, your books are getting a lot of positive critical attention. Yeah, they, they really have. And some of that is that you know, I, I've spent a number of years in science fiction, fantasy, and horror, so I, I know a lot of people. Um, I used to write for a, an online magazine called SF Signal that had a large reviewing community, so I know some people from there. Um, you know, and some of it is is knowing is having been around long enough to know how to tap into things. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's just that I just met a bunch of people between Worldcon and online and SF Signal and a lot of the other stuff that I've been doing that, you know, has made it a little easier to do some outreach that, you know, would have been harder, you know, when I was first starting out. The Tilt Podcast Group relies on support. The support of you, our listeners. The support of those who like and review our show on their favorite podcast app. The support of our patrons on Patreon. And the support of our sponsors. We hope you'll continue to enjoy and support Tilt. I'd like
like to focus on that a little bit because I see two strengths to Queen of Swords Press that a lot of people who start out and say, hey, I'll just put together my own you know, publishing company that, that people don't look at. And one of them is your meticulous focus on just the business aspects of it. You know, the, I loved following you about all the small business classes and setting up the business plan and running the financials and all that. And the other being that, especially for works where the natural audience includes the SFF community, just having that community knowledge, having those contacts, having people who say, oh, I know who this person is, I will take them seriously. And I think that has really uh, made a big difference in how solidly Queen of Swords Press has come into the field. Thank you. Um, I was actually just having this conversation with an editor friend this morning, and a you know, I, I studied how a lot of people did things before I launched. And I think that a lot of people go into creative projects without thinking about funding models, which makes me a little crazy because I think about funding models all the time. <laughs> um, so I think that you know, not having a long-term plan doesn't do anybody any favors, but also not figuring out what, what's a sustainable model to keep this going? Now, in my case, you know, I'm still, I, I've already been rehired for another full-time job. So I do a lot of juggling back and forth. Um, but there's stuff that I farm out because I know I'm not very good at it. You know, for example, cover art. I would, I would be terrible at cover art. So I hire artists. The book design goes to somebody else. I've mentioned I have an assistant. Um, I have a webmaster, you know, so there's people who are like picking up the things that I either can't do or no, I don't do that well and don't have the time to get better at it right now. Yes. So it gives me some time to really focus on things. And what I decided going into this was that I was going to go for a model where book sales would cover the costs. Um, I wasn't going to be entirely dependent on Patreon, although I do have a Patreon and people do support me out there and they are awesome and I love them, but, <laughs> but it's not the sole source of things. Um, I'm watching some people try and experiment with their crowdfunding, you know, kickstartering or whatever, every single project. And I don't think that's a very sustainable model either. Yeah. I get the impression that, you know, we are teetering on the edge of the, Kickstarter funding becoming unsustainable because of the noise factor. That when when it was a smaller number of projects and very well thought out and planned, then yeah, it was a great funding model. But I look at even just things like um, the podcast field, where it is it is so full now, and I, I don't want to see crowded because that would sound self self serving, but there are so many social media teetering on the edge of, of business fields out there where it worked as long as you were a pioneer. Um, and I do feel like Kickstarter is becoming that. Well, the other part of it is also that, you know, if you kickstart a book and it's not like a really special project, I mean, it's special to you, obviously, but like special in the field of things for whatever reason, the next question is, okay, so how are you going to get that distributed? How are you going to get that out in the world? You know, um, once something has kickstarted, you've already gone through its initial audience. 
if it, if it you know, yeah. actually goes through and completes successfully. So you've already brought in that initial audience. So how do you get to a new audience? And, you know, there are some people who are very good at it, but they tend to, you know, they're limited size um, crowdfunding operations. They've got specific re reward tiers and they put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. And I think that a lot of people go into it and figure they'll kickstart it. It'll fund, it'll be magically popular and the level of attention that they got for the Kickstarter will continue uh -huh. by itself. And it just doesn't as near as I can tell. Yeah, I think there's a difference between, you know, you, you use Kickstarter, you get your, your knee-jerk support there to make it exist in the first place. And then if you've got a further audience, then that becomes sort of your baseline model. But if if your initial Kickstarter fulfillment is the, the sole market, then yeah, what you're saying is that, well, then what? Then what do you do? Then you start from scratch again for the next project. Right. So that was a lot of why I started, you know, with the model that, you know, yes, I would be funding it out of my day job for the, you know, foreseeable future, but that ultimately it had to pay for itself because I have enough expensive hobbies. I don't need one more. <laughs> um, although we've culled back a lot on those. Uh, so at this point, um, it's close. It's close to paying for itself. It's not there yet. Um, but I've gotten sales to go up about 20% a year since I started. Mm. Um, I've, I've doubled print sales between 2018 and 2019. I'm on track to double print sales again from last year. Um, the first year was almost entirely ebook sales. The only print sales were one local bookstore and any book tabling I did. Now I've got books in six or seven indie bookstores um, you know, plus Barnes and Noble and Amazon and so forth, but I'm starting to really broaden that. So right now I'm simultaneously in conversations with the really big gaming and comic book store in St. Paul. I live in Minneapolis in St. Paul and the high end literary. We mostly do poetry and memoir bookstore in the literary center downtown. And they're both like, Dapper lesbian capybara pirates, yes, <laughs> which I love. I love that it's speaking to both of them at the same time. Yes, that is um, interesting. Well, but let's talk about content because the the description of your remit on the Queen of Swords website is swashbuckling tales of daring do, bold new adventures in time and space, mysterious stories of the occult and arcane and fantastical tales of people and lands far and near, which is kind of broad. What, yes. what do you see as sort of your, your touch point? Um, things that interest Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, pretty straightforward. I, I'm an eclectic reader. And I do a lot of different kinds of outreach and, you know, just, just in terms of how I end up doing marketing. So there's, there's some sweet spots in there of things that I know I can tap into a readership for. Uh -huh. And then there's things that I can't. So I wouldn't, for example, put out a contemporary YA novel simply because I have no idea how to tap into the readership for that. Uh -huh. I have to learn. Um, and there, there isn't a lot of time for me to learn one more new thing right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are things that are easier for me to sell than others. 
Um, books with queer characters is, you know, at the top of the list. I do some, some regional prides. I do, you know, book festivals and so forth. And that's an audience I can definitely tap into. Yeah, I noticed that the, the description does not mention a queer focus, and yet it's pretty clear from what you put out that that is an underlayer. Is that just assumed? Some of it, yes. Um, my vision for this long term is that this isn't going to be a press that only does LGBTQ books. You know, I, I do want to get it to, you know, a point where I'm you know, publishing the occasional straight person who writes about straight characters. <laughs> um, you know, and some of that is because a lot of the queer press stuff is is very niche and you can hit a real wall on how far out you can get books. Whereas if you go in and you say, well, I'm at least open to the idea of doing this, it creates more space. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's always going to be true. I, but that's the idea that I set out with. So I have actually been looking at some stuff from other people that, you know, eventually I'm probably going to put out something that doesn't fall under the queer science fiction, rub- you know, and fantasy rubric. So I kind of, I'm kind of laying the ground for that. Um, the description was what I came up with for my business plan originally. And I think, you know, I think I'm in the ballpark of it, but yeah, I, it was never my intention to, to only do this. You know, it's uh-huh. always been, you know, me looking down the road a piece and going, okay, what if we did this? How would this work? Yeah. So one thing I've noticed is that you have focused very strongly on being a print as well as an ebook publisher. And I know you mentioned that initially most of your sales were ebooks. But I know that for a lot of small presses, small niche presses, they really focus primarily on ebooks because of just the distribution complications. What what does the print side do for you and to you in terms of a business model? Um, there are doors that are closed to you if you're an ebook only publisher. Um, some of it is there's, I mean, there's still review sites and reviewers who will only look at print, uh-huh. you know, so that, that's one thing. Um, in general, you know, obviously most, most, you know, indie bookstores and so forth may not be able to sell your ebook. That's another thing. <laughs> um, print, you've got something where people are always coming up to me at book tables and going, oh, wow, I'm so glad to see that you have print books, mm-hmm. you know, and it happens all the time. You know, I, I, I do at least one book table event a month at this point, and every single time somebody will come up and say that. You know, yeah. if they want ebooks, I, I've got postcards, I hand them out, I send them to our website, I send them out to go, you know, get ebooks wherever they get ebooks because we've got broad distribution. I don't just do Amazon. Um, it, the books are all available through Smashwords and Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, but there's a real appetite for print books. The other thing was I got very, very lucky early on when I first started this. And I met somebody who's a book designer and book cover artist who also does editing and does their own writing. And she's somebody who lives in a city near me. And we met through a writer's group. And she had approached me when I started this and said, you know, hey, I do some book design. You know, would you like to see what I can do? And it turned out that what she could do was amazing. So the 
they're not just print books. They're beautifully designed print books. They have some art in them. You know, she does these frontispieces, like my, my werewolf novel has this frontispiece of wolves running under the moon. Um, the, the pirate collection, the Sinrak collection that's coming out has these you know, little magical seahorses and you know, pictures of mountains. And it's just beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, she filled my horror collection with, you know, a staircase that goes up into this smoke-filled, this mist-filled room where it looks like there's a ghost in the corner, you know, just that kind of stuff. <laughs> and just these little tiny details that make things look gorgeous. So people look at them and go, wow, it, you know, I really want this book because it's beautiful in addition to oh. wanting to read it and see what it's about. And some of that was just pure luck. You know, it just, it happened to be at a time when she was looking for jobs and I needed somebody and, you know, we connected. And so that was a really cool thing. Um, she's done some of my cover art as well. And the rest of the cover art has actually come from people whose work I've seen. So the cover art for um, Alex's books is by a Canadian artist who goes by Canaxa. And Canaxa does a lot of romance covers, and I had really liked some of those. So I reached out and said, hey, you want to do some steampunk? And she said, yes. So, <laughs> so she, did, she did beautiful cover design on both of those. And then Terry, Terry Roy, who's my designer, did just amazing things with the interior. Um, the cover for Scourge of the Seas is done by the same artist who did my press logo, mm -hmm. same Queen of Swords press logo. Um, and the Sinrak cover um, is by a new artist who I just met last year when I was throwing a party at Wiscon, uh, Diane Hoyne, and hopefully I'm pronouncing her name right. And she just, you know, came to the party and said, hey, I like your covers. You know, if you're looking for cover artists, here's my card. <laughs> and I went out. And when we were, I was looking for art for Sinrak and she had the perfect art on her Tumblr. It was amazing. <laughs> How often does somebody already have capybara art lying around? <laughs> well, you see, that's the thing. And, you know, and capybaras like filled with a starscape and, you know, yeah. and the right shade of purpley blue. And, and so it's so, um, but she hadn't, uh, Diane hadn't done lettering before, so uh, Terry stepped up and did the lettering for that and then did the back cover as well as the interior art for it. And it's just, I mean, just a breathtakingly beautiful little book. I'm so excited about it. Um, I saw the author make a comment on Twitter the other day that said, I feel like I won baby's first book contest. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, pretty pleased with that. So, but yeah, so, I mean, so, you know, some of the stuff that's coming down the pike, um, I'm working on the sequel, The Silver Moon, which is called Blood Moon. Uh, I have just promised a local book club that they will have it in their hands by the end of the year. So I need to finish it and get it edited and all that good stuff. Yeah, so I'll be working on that. Um, and then I'm talking to a couple of different authors about some, um, you know, work that I'm hoping to bring in either at the end of this year or the start of next um, I've got a new idea for an anthology. Um, so there'll be definitely, you know, new things coming down the pike. It's just, you know, finishing off the one thing and then getting started on the next one. So I know that uh, your anthologies have had open calls, um, but it sounds like uh, that the, the books that you're, this is more about making connections offline as it were and, and identifying people that might be good 
uh, authors for your uh, publishing house. Do you ever see the press expanding enough to take book manuscripts over the transom? I know that's a scary thought. Well, I did open up to queries um, for about six weeks this last year. And Uh I got some, you know, I got some good stuff. It's just that it wasn't things that were good fits for where things are at right now. Uh Um, So I suspect what will happen is that at least for the moment, you know, I'm going to try to open up again later on this year, but it's going to depend on how things are going. Um, So it's a combination of factors. It's that books with my name on them still outsell everything else. Mm-hmm. So there always has to be a Catherine book coming out because that, that's what's holding the rest of them up. <laughs> right. And the other part of it is also that because I'm a one woman shop, you know, people have to be able to work with me and I have to be able to work with them. Uh-huh. And so right there, you know, you've got to have some sort of connection because it's, it's really hard for, you know, a complete stranger to come in and expect things to be running all ship shape and, you know, so forth without any issues and hiccups and, and the various things that happen when you're still learning. So I think that I'll, pro- I'll be doing some more invites for sure. I need to get those out soon. And then we'll see how that goes. I would like to have something, I would like to have more things in the pipeline than I do. And the best way to do that is by opening up to submissions. But at the same time, I want those submissions to have a chance of success. Yeah. So, you know, eventually it'll, you know, I'll open up, open up, but at the moment, it's still kind of in that, you know, invitee range. At the same time, you know, if somebody had something that they, they you know, had read the, the other books or some of the other books and thought, wow, I have something that would be a really good fit and I'd like to work with you, you know, I would say, go ahead, shoot me an email and we'll see what, we, you know, what, what happens from there. Yeah, and I know that you've also focused very strongly on being able to support the publications you're putting out and not, not overreaching, as it were. And that's important. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I, I watched one of the mid-sized science fiction presses pretty much go under to the point where they had to sell out to a bigger house because they had a hit on their hands and they just didn't have any way of handling it. Huh. And that was kind of that was a very valuable lesson to watch. You know, that go down from a great distance. You know, it's just like what happens when you get a huge hit? You're doing your own distribution. You know, you're doing right now I'm doing print on demand, which means that it's going through Ingram. They're sending the books out. I don't have to run to the post office every other day. <laughs> um, but, you know, what would happen when I get to the point where I can do I can do offset printing and there's storage and there's distribution, oh, yeah. there's all that stuff to consider what happens then. And not there yet. That, that That's a point I can see down the road. But I'm guessing that's, you know, probably about a year away at this point. Yeah, there, there are a number of those sort of level up points where, you know, am I ready to tackle this next level of activity? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely part of the learning experience. And, you know, I, I, t- I tend to be pretty cautious anyway, and especially since it's my own money. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I tend to, you know, kind of look at things and go, well... You know, I, I have, I'm fortunate enough to know a number of other, you know, people who are small and indie publishers and so forth. And so any, many times I'll go back and say, okay, how much was your bestseller making before you made this jump? Mm-hmm. You know, what did you do after you did this thing? You know, that kind of stuff. And it, it's been really helpful. Um, I want to give a shout out to my friends who run Blind Eye Books out of Bellingham, Washington. 
um, Nicole and Jen, and they have been tremendously, tremendously helpful. They, in fact, spent like most of the 2018 Clexicon listening to me babble about what I wanted to do, shaking their heads and saying, no, Catherine, do this <laughs> other thing first. <laughs> This great training. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that kind of the mixed personal professional connections where people can help you not make the mistakes they made. I mean, I have definitely been listening to you a lot and thinking about it every single time. I think, gee, wouldn't it be fun to like have my own publishing house? And the answer that always comes back to me is no, this is not within your skill set, Heather. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, some of the stuff is is very definitely things you can learn. I had eight books out before I started doing this. And I had, maybe I had more than eight books. I had nine books. Oops, I keep forgetting one. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had 80 some odd short stories published. So there were things that I learned during the course of that, you know, how to set up readings, how to approach bookstores, how to get into events. Um, you know, how to do interviews, how to do, you know, basic one-on-one -on -one book sales that I just kind of accumulated over time. If I was back at the beginning of my career, there was no way I could have made this fly. Yeah. Uh, I should also note that I also spent a couple of years with running my own bookstore too. So yes, a yes. long time ago, I was also a bookseller. So I've got a lot of those kinds of experiences that I'm able to draw on. So this is, you know, this is the culmination of a good 20 some odd years of building up to the next thing. Yes. So anything else uh, you wanted to tell the listeners about um, setting up and establishing a small press? Um, it's always more work than you think it's going to be. And it takes longer. It doesn't matter what that thing is. <laughs> it's always like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I always hear that about house remodeling too. <laughs> Yes, that it's very much on the same continuum. I, I just did a, an interview for a uh, new book from um, a small pub publisher in the UK. It, the publisher is called Fly on the Wall Press, and the book is called Small Press Do's and Don'ts. And I said it always takes longer than you think it will. And they bolded it and put it on big letters on their blog. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there it is, a life motto, possibly a tattoo. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I guess, you know, in conclusion, I, I expect to, to keep growing, expect to be doing more things. Um, I'm looking forward to bringing in new voices. I'm also, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of stretching the genre boundaries a little more. Uh -huh. I'd like to do more historical fantasies. I'd like to do, you know, a, so, some more gothic horror. There's a bunch of things I really want to play with. So I, I see that as the things that will be, you know, coming up over the next few years. Well, so listeners can find a link to the Queen of Swords Press website and social media in the show notes, as well as social media links for Catherine Lundoff herself. And thank you, Catherine, for taking so much time to appear on the show and talk to our listeners about what the experience has been like. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, I appreciate all the hard work that you're doing to really, you know, raise awareness about some things and to, you know, bring some more attention to, you know, to publishers as well as your work with the Lesbian Historic Motif Project and the podcast. I think you're doing great stuff. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast. 
See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 